When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Peace, man. How's everything? Oh, I can't complain. Good, good. Very timely, man. Uh, I always appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, man. What you got in the background? Looks like uh, some some uh, characters. Oh, yeah. I've been on my pandemic vibe collecting uh, these these Marvel Legend pieces. I just got this uh, this Daredevil today. I've been posting and shit. This is the this is the original costume. Oh damn! Yeah. You know what I mean? That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That's so I kind of, kind of, fucking lost my mind down down here in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> are, you but, posted, um, are you posted up in Brooklyn? Where are you these days? I'm, I'm in Queens. Oh, Queens. Okay, cool. I noticed that the pieces are pretty therapeutic. So I was thinking about doing a clubhouse on uh, how therapeutic these these action figures are for for old nerds who like hip hop music. So, <laughs> what, so different. what is it about it that makes them therapeutic? I think if if you grew up a Marvel fan, um, and you have that type of imagination, I think when you put them in a scene or in the mind or you remember them from what they were with the group or the story, it kind of brings you to a point of, of, of pure imagination, mm. which is great for um, going back to zero um, anxiety. And it's really great for uh, a writer or creative and, and coming out of just, just chilling for a minute and being like, okay, let me go back to writing some shit. And then they're really dope. Like I got these custom Jordans from my Hell, my, wow. my 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 Miles Morales. You know what I mean? So I, I don't want to I don't want to make this shit about my my, my figures. <laughs> yeah, that's ill though. Uh, so welcome again. We have with us today a very special guest, Pharaoh Monch, joining us on our Ambrosia for Heads. What's the headline podcast? Uh, man, I've been waiting for this for a long time. Not just the Dope. podcast, but the album. You know, you just dropped the album, A Magnificent Day for an Exorcism. And I know you've been working on this for quite some time. Uh, yeah, man. We've talked about it. You know, you've been telling me about it, giving me like, you know, hints, you know, dropping things for like several years now. Um, so having worked on it all those years, is it a coincidence that it was released two days after inauguration? I think um, a lot of things for the project have, have been landing and serendipitous and, you know, the timing and a lot of things to do with numerology. And, uh, you know, I wanted to release the record on the 13th of uh, November. It was a Friday the 13th, and I had planned to do that being, you know, the name of the band and all that. And my publicist was just like, yo, you, you, you've amassed a lot of good, uh, you know, visuals and uh, just, just uh, you know, assets in terms of for the project, because that's another thing that took long. I didn't want to just drop a, an album that was heavy without any visual assets, because I knew, like, from my experience, albums haven't been lasting that long you know I would I would listen to something for a week and then it would disappear in my in my head so the the objective was to to, to to defeat that with this project so I wanted to get some visuals so we got them um some of the videos and the the tiny desk performance and then we just kind of uh strategized around releasing it um everything around the same time so it could kind of make more sense to people 
rather than letting them figure out. It just so happened that, um, you know, the inauguration was of, of this type of magnitude because of the, the guy who was in, Trump was like, I don't know if I'm going to leave or not. And it was just more, you know, uh, more wild than we ever imagined or ever seen in, in the history of the country. So it was perfect for the vibe of the record. Oh, yeah. I mean, the symbolism matched up perfectly with the title, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you open it up with Cult 45, which, you know, first of all, that's just the wordplay on that is really, really dope. Um, mm-hmm. But it sounds like, you know, the first couple of lines are like a recipe for what's been going on in the country and how the cult formed around the former president. I'm not going to use mm-hmm. his name, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But I want to ask you, do you think that he was the symptom or the cause that led to that cult-like behavior? Um, I think he's just a pawn on the entire chessboard of, of this whole situation that we're experiencing and just uh, kind of cultivated and, you know, found a way to uh, magnify and attract those feelings that have been there, which is which is primarily what the album is about. It's, it's just like those things are kind of rooted in, in a lot of what this country is about. And so it's just uh, unbelievable to see them come to the forefront like they did, but they've always been there and uh, present. And some of us have felt the vibration of that. Some of us have felt it firsthand and seen it firsthand and been talking about it in the, in the underbelly. And, you know, we would, you would get called, you know, a, a conspiracy theorist when you got deep down into the the things that were really facts. Uh, and so this just uh, kind of brought it to the forefront. But, I, you know, with the magnitude of all of this, I still think he's just a piece in the puzzle of the the, the fabric of the poison, you know. So years back, like you said, uh, I started to to see things like this. And I was like, you know what, if, if we're going to get back to zero, and this is beyond making music, and, and, and get to a place where I thought we would be in 2020, 2021, as a society, you know, 40 years ago, <sighs> you know, we would have to do some dig, some, some deep digging, have difficult conversation and really exercise some things and talk about uh, some, some things that uh, have always been there that we never really addressed. And that's therapeutic in itself. It's, it's a way to atone. And so that's when I started formulating this, this exorcism kind of concept. I know I just rambled a bit, but I hope yeah. I answered your question. No, no, that was dope. Yeah. And just on, on a quick follow-up on that, you know, I saw an interview you did with, uh, you know, our good friend and colleague, Soren Baker. Mm-hmm. And you talked about that, you know, how, what the, your vision had been for where we would be in 2020, some 40 years ago. Can you, can you talk about that, you know, for the audience who might not have checked out that piece? Yeah, again, as, as like an artist, kid who went to, you know, Art school, high school of art and design, big comic book fan, Star Trek fan, Star Wars fan. You know, in my head, I was always peering into the future. Uh, politically, socially, just, just what a better world would look like. Uh, I just watched A King in the Wilderness, which is a Martin Luther King documentary, and just, just thinking about what I learned from those times and then looking forward, thinking about his dream, so to speak. And, you know, see Star Trek and, you know, it was just primitive, you know, racism was like a primitive thing on the ship, you know, it's like, you know, so archaic. And I thought it, it could be possible to get there looking, you know, that far into the future and just uh, to get here and to it for it to be so prominent still is just uh you know I expect it because I know the history, but it's still kind of like a slap in the face and a hard pill 
to swallow because inherently, I think most people energetically want to like move beyond that shit, you know, mm-hmm. like it's just, it's disgusting energy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, with an album like this was, you know, you have been talking about it for at least four years, as I can recall. Was it something where you kept, you know, creating different versions of it? Or is it something you chipped away at and then finally had the aha moment, like you said, of November and yeah, I think we lost Jake for a second there. Um, I got the last of his yeah, question. Yeah. I think, um, you know, you, you come up with a concept Obviously. and... and... Sorry, Jake, we lost you for a second there. But, but he got... Yeah, but he got, go he, ahead. He, yeah. I think, you know, you I started off years ago. I, I knew I wanted to have those vibes, rock vibes on a, on a record. Um, I knew I wanted it to be aggressive and hard and, and and dark. I didn't really have a theme. Um, and, and so uh, in the beginning, you know, um, I might have been rapping over a fucking Led Zeppelin sample or a Black Sabbath sample. And like, yeah, this is the direction I want to go. This, this is what I want to do. As it started to develop, I started to realize this is not really different from what I usually do anyway and and i wanted to so to speak be taken seriously uh on the on the on the other spectrum you know the other side of of the rock shit and i imagine you know some some random rock dude saying he was making a hip-hop album and didn't know who dilla was or you know you we're thinking on this side well, who the fuck are you going to get to produce it and what would it take for us to embrace him on the hip hop side? And um, I started using this, this this rock word and also started realizing that the rock that I love, which I consider dope, which is the, the classic 70s, Hendrix, Sabbath, Zeppelin, Police, Rush, whatever you want to get into, that's not what people see now. So as I'm using this word in, in meetings and in offices and spaces and to friends, and they're looking at me like, word, you want to wear spandex, spandex and have long fucking hair? Like, what the fuck? Like, it wasn't fly anymore in the context that I was speaking to people in it. And so, you know, um, my manager guy was like, yo, you need to stop, you know, saying that. You kind of are that. You know, hip hop kind of is the embodiment of the, the energy that you speak of without it being that. I've had people come to me and say, yo, I'm, I'm from the rock side, but internal affairs brought me into hip hop because it embraced the sort of energy to it. So um, I kind of started to train myself not to use that word because I, you know, I knew it would be taken out of context, but I couldn't because it's the element of a piece of the shit that I, I love. So I'm glad it's finally out so people can see that it's not very far from what I usually do any fucking way. And so as I started formulating, I was like, nobody's going to take what I'm spewing seriously unless I incorporate um, musicians, move this kind of a little away from a Feral Monch project and incorporate these musicians. In my mind, I'm like, I'm writing these records to bring to the stage where we were going to do this campaign like an old school band or old school group, get in a van and go on the road and get on stage and campaign for fans and be like, we're opening up or whatever we're doing. And this is who we are. We got some killer songs. We're going to rock these shits. Hopefully people will be like, yo, these guys are crazy. Let's go get a t-shirt. Farrell's new band is dope. So in my mind, I'm writing these songs to perform because that's where I thought part of the strength of it would be as well. And so uh, where we're one thing was shifting that way was taken away by the pandemic and then kind of realigned again because things came to fruition for the record that wouldn't have happened for us if there wasn't a pandemic, you know, like Tiny Desk. So 
let's say no pandemic album comes out, the band goes to Highline Ballroom to, to do an album release show for 450, 500 people. And then we hope people take pictures and put it on social media. In this regard, we kind of uh, fell into the thing where now over 80,000 people have seen the Tiny Desk performance and we're bringing in new fans that way as well. I, I just hope we get to the point where we could get on stage live in front of an audience because that's kind of where I meditated on the vibration of these songs at, you know. Yeah, we'll get there. I mean, the beauty is the music lives forever, right? So no matter what the time mm-hmm. may be, mm-hmm. the opportunity will present itself. You know, just going back to, you're talking about people having a difficult time kind of wrapping their head around the rock concept. The mm-hmm. interesting thing is that, you know, you being a student of hip hop, know that a lot of the 80s hip hop was really kind of based on rock. You had, you know, Beastie Boys sampling Led Zeppelin or Rhyming and Stealing. Mm-hmm. Ice mm-hmm. T sampled uh, Black Sabbath, you know, uh, War Pigs mm-hmm. on um, Ron Pays. You had KRS and, you know, uh, Scott LaRock sampling ACDC. So did that also kind of inform your interpretation of how to blend hip hop and rock? I mean, before that, before I started with the, with the idea of being an artist or professional, I was at park jams and they were rocking out to I Got the Big Beat, Billy Squire, uh, you know, all, all the rock breaks. And then I would go look for these records and be like, oh shit, it's rock. Oh shit, like they, they kind of always intertwined in me. The, the amazing thing about hip hop culture is that it's the one culture where you gotta, it's, it's the one art form where you gotta have your chops up in all of the art forms. If you're a jazz enthusiast, like you go to school and you gotta learn that shit like nothing else and you become a master at it and then you branch. With hip hop, it was kind of all infused with all these different things and you were kind of getting an education on jazz. And then especially when we were digging, going through the history and finding out who these people are, who these players are and then investigating and digging for their solo records same thing with rock so you got to see how or oh, drums are open here and whatever you know so I was I was getting like a little education as well as you know my oldest brother was a was a was a rock head fusion jazz head jazz head and um you know I was always into it anyway and uh just cats rhyming over the, I got the big beat break you know yeah. That's part of it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So working with Daru and Marcus, both of who are just monster musicians, you know, the first time mm-hmm. I saw Marcus was he opened up for Anderson Pack at SOBs, you know, sitting right by the stage. I'd never heard of him. And I'm a, I'm a guitar freak too. I love guitar. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this dude is not from this earth. Like he is just such a like gifted guitarist. But how did your process, your creative process change working with musicians rather than producers? Well, the, the most important thing with this project is when I, when I looked at projects in the past, they, that, that kind of wanted to mix the two genres. It was either too much rock or it was loose or it didn't have the hip hop temperament or it didn't have the bars or something was missing for me. So, you can't lose the the original element. So obviously uh I, I, I locked in with Lee Stone, my longtime uh partner and, 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 and co-producer and uh Knotts and Marco Polo and Super Ugly and 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 all the other producers to make sure the shit had hip hop temperament. Mm-hmm. Because without that what, what the fuck are we listening to? So, um, and then when I'm incorporating and thinking about a Marcus Machado, I'm like, I don't want to use a prodigy to fucking just play shit over or play along. So I was like, I really want to use you in a lot of spaces as well as we created some song. We, you know, we created a couple of songs on a project, wrote them from scratch. 
But in implementing you, I want you to be a lyricist and on these songs and have your own verses. And I want people to get to your parts and be like, oh my God, I feel that. It's like a, he has 16 bars. It's, it's like a verse. So um, to give him space to, to be a star that he is. And, um, you know, I, I, I think we did a, a, a good job of that on the record because uh, he really uh, shines in a lot of spaces. And I wanted to make sure that because my favorite bands, when I when I talk with my friends, they're like, nah, it's the drummer that makes the band. It's the guitarist. So, you know, people come and I want people to, you know, I, I imagined an audience of people who don't know me from Simon Says and they're just saying, if the guitarist brought you here, that's why I'm here too. And somebody hearing that be like, they don't even know that's fucking Farrell Monty, the fucking group, man, that's crazy, you know? So I wanted that whole thing, so... I, I kind of prayed on getting musicians of their level to, to do the project with me. Yeah, I mean, well, they definitely uh, did it justice and seemed like you guys had a cohesive vision there too, despite having so many people involved. So uh, that was cool. You know, so you talk about capitalism and how it enslaves us, you know, and, and you talk, you know, through like, you know, people trying to always consume and, how Christmas has done that as well. How do you think we get out of that rat race? Oof, that's a rough one, man. With with everything that we're inundated with and the devices that we have, it's difficult to turn that switch off. Um, but I, I I think an emphasis an emphasis has to be made on that. Again, as you can see, with with the politics and this culture on you know, the economy, it's like you, you pull back and then it's here's some money to spend and you pull back and you're like, here's some money to spend. And then what's happening in the end game of that for the individual. So I think um, a pandemic, again, this pandemic has forced us to look inward and kind of ask ourselves, what are we, what are we really doing in this whole situation and kind of think about end game and even if this all opens up again for me personally you know I'm, I'm thinking like I, I wonder if people would go back to the crazy rat race and the frivolousness and not taking a moment to sit in the backyard and watch the birds and kind of get away from how we were all just running and chasing and uh spend more time connecting and and giving because this is the ultimate demonstration of why it's important and you could you could spend your life you know trying to be a billionaire and you know at the end of the at the end of it all you know miss the whole point of it all life in itself yeah man i mean and uh you know ultimately you know, most of us, you know, we, we accumulate these things over time. We have these possessions, but we end up with two boxes. You know, that, that, that's, that's mm -hmm. what a lot of people end up with at the end of it. So, mm -hmm. you know, um, it truly is kind of like a, a hamster wheel, you know. Um, so you talked a lot about um, the number 13. Obviously, the band is called that and it has special meaning for you. And the, the song Triska Decaphobia. Um, I had to like you know hit play on the on the the, the, the definition to make sure I got that right. Um, <laughs> you know, you talk about the superstitions around the number. Uh, so, is that really the thirteen? Is that really the reason why you have the E in Pharaoh March? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Can you can you can you break <laughs> that down a little bit? I was spelling it the 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 regular way. I was like, oh, it's only twelve letters. It would be cool. Like, how could I? Uh make this 13 all the the letters of this name so the e was added to kind of like you know yeah. elongate it <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy that's crazy you know and so you were born on halloween and now you know two months later we we, we realized that we lost doom on that day um so what was your connection to him musically oh man 
I cried, you know, when I got the news. Um, I'm a huge Doom fan. Not in the sense like I have all the vinyl and all the shit and all the toys, but in the sense that uh, I think he embodied the purity of what I love about artists. What I love about an artist that finds his voice and finds him himself in something that he loves and he sticks to it and he kind of not because he bucked the system but you know he was like this is the way this is the pure way of of what I'm feeling and everybody uh caught that and that's a beautiful beautiful thing to me and it's inspiring and it just says so much about how what we're told systematically is is not the truth. And here's somebody who just was a, a magnificent embodiment of his own truth. And uh, you could look at that. I could I could look at his his songs, his career, and just that that's what I would get. And I'm sure it pushed not not for me, not just because it was dope and the samples was dope and Mad Libs ill and he's original and his voice is original because it embodies something that I know to be to be true about art and for all artists and all creatives. And so uh, it was it was heavy for me on New Year's Eve. It's a heavy year. And, you know, it's like, come on, man. You know what I mean? So, but yeah, and then you know, it 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 it's still it's still hurtful because he's a hero in that sense, and so you wonder, like when I when I have the the question about doom or palsy, like I'm 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 choked up inside now because I'm wondering if I dealt with it, but I don't know if I ever will because he he meant a lot on another level outside of the music frame mm-hmm. and you guys clearly had that connection to uh, uh-huh. the, 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 the superheroes the, the comics you know too um, right right yeah. right and he and he uh, um, we didn't chill or anything we don't have any songs together uh, I was with him at a show in Paris that we did he like performed and DJed and me and Gene Gray performed as well and then we were like backstage you know it was closed off and we were at like a circular table and we were just kicking it man and um I was just kind of picking his brain and he was talking about how his process from from thinking about what to write and on the paper went from that to a more flow of let me just open up and let the things come to me and and then put them together you know and I was like that sounds about right from from what I'm hearing from you you know what I mean so this is an amazing conversation that's dope Mr. Vessel now so you talked about your visuals a little bit one of the things you put out was a um was a kind of uh explainer part explainer but part teaser to the song 666 and in that you talked about, uh, you know, um, the reason why you called it that um, is that you wanted to, you were inspired by Ernest Hemingway saying that he could write a novel in six words, mm-hmm. made a bet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so first of all, I like your your three six word stories better than his. Uh, but how <laughs> many how many of those did you have to write before you settled on those three? Um. They're, they're pretty quick. They're, they're not difficult. I didn't try to make them difficult at all. The first one is is something that um, you know, I'm I'm chronic asthmatic, so I was in a in a pulmonary specialist place doing a breathing test, and the specialist said to me, you know, I'm just looking at you before you even take the test, and you kind of take these little tiny breaths. You know, oxygen is free. You know, just breathe it in. You know, that's the problem with most people. Just breathe, breathe deeply. And I was like, she just told me that, I, I you know, oxygen is free. And then I said, uh, you know, wow. 
you know, I, I kind of breathe, I kind of do breathe like oxygen is expensive. So I just thought that line spoke to me having breathing issues. So I kept it. Uh, and uh, um, I love you, take care intensive. I just thought it was fucking dope and disrespectful and weird. So, so, um, <laughs> but the basis of that, of that song is for, to be sporadic, talk shit, talk battle rap shit over some music that I love, over a track that doesn't, you know, a song that doesn't really have no uh, arrangement, but has a roller coaster feel to it. So it was just some artistic shit that I wanted to do. So is the, is the album out on vinyl? Um, and you can order it. It's uh, you can pre-order it now, and it's uh, there's the pre-orders are available. So, so I guess it takes about a month or so to get your your vinyl. So I gotta wait a month to figure out what you're saying backwards on that song. Um, yeah, because I, I can't say it on here because then everybody will run with it. But it's very fucking vulgar and vile. It's very uh, racist and uh, unprofessional and uh, not PG and uh, not politically correct. Basically, the setup is, um, I say I move the crowd like I have Tourette's in the movies. And then I say a bunch of shit that I I thought about that if I wanted everybody to leave, that I would say, that I would just yell out, you know, like, fire. And so that's what's backwards because when I when I went to get the permission from Black Sabbath, I was like, I can't have this in the song and never gonna let me use it. Right. It's just pretty some pretty fucked up stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that's ill um yeah, so you, you talked about your breathing uh when you got that news from the doctor did you start to do breathing practices or meditation or anything to be intentional about it um i contracted asthma when i was 13 months of 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 of, of age and my parents used to always say that people would ask how long has he had asthma 13 months 13 months old. And so very early on, <clears throat> that number was etched into my brain from a long, long time ago. And so as it became a catalyst and, and a gift and a curse to where even when I was in grade school and junior high school, and I was like, what are you going to do? Because you're, you, you're being hospitalized a lot with your, with your life and your profession. It started to guide me to art and things I'm like you're not going to be able to be a football player or fireman you know what the fuck are you going to do so as I, I I steered towards art and I have this issue and I got towards him seeing you know it kind of pushed me to fight against the lung disease and the way that I rap so you know like say Coltrane doing these long-winded runs with crazy lung capacity where I would be like, has he playing through this, this run so long? You know, I was thinking, you know, I'm gonna fuck you up, asthma, because if I do this rap shit, I'm gonna do runs that are just mind blowing and stage performance that is just mind blowing to the point where people are like, oh word, really? And, uh, that was kind of like a catalyst. So although it is a curse, it kind of pushed me in the direction that I went as an MC. Um, as well as if I if I didn't have asthma growing up in South Jamaica, I think I would have did a lot of shit, got into a lot of shit, smoked a lot of shit that I shouldn't have, and I, I might not be in this place. So I'm not thankful for it, but I'm aware that it's probably steered me in a direction that I'm in in this moment. So something bad brought something good, you know. Um, that <clears> applies. <throat> that applies to COVID too, and in particular context, which is mass shootings. You know, you're, you're <clears throat> some magician. 
uh, recounts a mass shooting. And those were down a lot last year just because people aren't congregating in the same way, you know. Um, But over the years, there have been countless tragedies, you know, and, you know, every time it happens, people get up in arms, you know, pun intended, and really call for like regulation and things like that. And then it tends to die down. Um, Mm -hmm. Why do you think that our memory is so short when it comes to news cycles? And it's a fact. And it's obvious that politicians play on the fact that I'd say humans, not even Americans. You heard in two weeks time a lot in the last administration. I'll let you know in two weeks time. And then the shit goes by and we're like, what did I ask again? Mm-hmm. What was said again? But I, I, I think that's the case. I think as humans, possibly we want to innately feel that things are going to get better and things are going to change and they're not going to happen again when we know that's not the case. And so, you know, the, the Sandy Hook joint kids, fourth graders, I believe, mm-hmm. in, a, in a great neighborhood, white kids, children shot. You know, I was like, I'm sure we can move some legislation behind this. And that shit was like, we don't give a fuck. And you're not fucking with our guns. You're not changing these these <laughs> these, these these rules and these laws. And uh, after that, I was kind of like, all right, man, it's just pretty obvious what's, what's happening here. And obvious that, uh, you know, without even doing research on it, that these guys have a stronghold on on our government and politicians and and it's money behind it and it's, it's wickedness behind the shit in ways that you know we used to talk about when we would talk about conspiracy shit so you, you just kind of get you throw your hands up with it and you know once the kids are all lobbying and pleading and begging for the adults to do something about it, it just was crushing. And so, you know, it's heavy on my mind. I didn't want to write something sappy about the shit. So I just kind of wrote it from this, you know, magician from the perspective of a couple of themes, someone who was bullied bringing into that theme and trying to make it ugly, as ugly as, those situations get you know yeah you know sandy hook was that moment for me too when i was like okay you know maybe finally something's going to go down and then after that it was a few years later with uh with vegas it's like 51 people you know like Mm -hmm. it's gotta be it and then i really thought it was going to happen when um the parkland kids got behind it because like you said Mm -hmm. then it was the kids actually Mm -hmm. calling for it but you know Mm -hmm. um we continue, you know. Uh, right. So on a lighter note, Goathead uses a double entendre you know, with this title, mm-hmm. you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know Hilarious. Even, you know, um, many people put you in that goat category, you know. So how does it feel to, to get your flowers like that? Oh, man. I don't know, man. I, I think context is very important and key here in narrative. I I think early years stress album you know it was was heavy on my mind Um, not being like king of New York or some shit like that because I never gave a fuck about that but where I would fall in the the pantheon of this whole shit now, um, because of the, 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 the length of years, um, I think it's important to, to get recognized. But in terms of like, um, I, I've seen the, the, the narrative have changed to you're one of the goats or a goat, which is really, which is really cool because uh, it's an objective, opinionated thing. That's fine with me. If somebody you know, writes on my page or sees me and says, you're my favorite MC, 
I'm not going to argue with them about why I shouldn't be. Because my favorite MCs are kind of off kilt. I don't think they need explaining, but, uh, you know, they're just why they move me. So I'm very accepting of it. But, uh, yeah, it's nice. It's nice to uh, be in the conversation. It's nice to be in the conversation. Uh, but uh, it's not something I, I harp on anymore because it's it's been... It's been years and years and years and it's just clickbait shit and I see things and, you know, somebody with a, a smaller range of a, the, the, the curve that they're grading on or the range of music that they're listening to. And I, I think all of that is fine, you know. You know, it's interesting because hip hop for a long time has been characterized as a young man's game, you know, as a young person's mm-hmm. thing. And really that extends to all music. You know, most mm-hmm. artists really kind of have their best material in their early years. But if you think about it, so many artists in rap have really come into their own and put out their best material in their forties. You know, uh, Black Thought, Royce, arguably Jay with 444. Mm-hmm. You fall into that category as well. What do you mm-hmm. think it is about having more decades that have, that's allowed you to be better at your craft? An artist should good should get better first and foremost in whatever you're doing. You should obtain more wisdom and skill, in my opinion, whether you're fucking carving or pottery or whatever it is you're doing in the arts. But in terms of a writer, you should gain more understanding and wisdom and topics. And you should have lived more life and have more understanding. And uh, I think we were worried about what the topics would be at this point. Because for for a lot of, for our generation, these cats are just uh, reaching this point. So we're hearing some of these artists for the first time under this narrative. And so for me, even years ago, I was kind of welcoming the shit. I always looked at having um, a, a career and a long career in, in 99 I was like you know you're going to be the Morgan Freeman of this hip hop shit which is pretty dope because and I'm, I'm cracking on myself but which is pretty dope because when he started to blow up you know I was like isn't that the dude from Electric Company <laughs> Yeah, which is what you know which is some fly ass shit I, I don't think it's it's whack at all. And so, uh, you know, for me, Royce and all the people that you, you, you've mentioned and particularly Black Thought and his, his freestyle and television, you know, to, again, similar to Doom, his freestyle embodied beyond the bars, like, you know, Black Thought can rap. But for tons of us were like, hello, you know, like, but in that moment, he embodied the passion and the the love at a level unseen for someone who looks like he looks like. Um, Just embracing the shit. And it was just like, this is a testament to the lie that I talk about. Like, there's no... You're supposed to stop when, why, how, like, uh, you know, when when we first started, it was like, you know, it's a thing for the summer, it's a fad. And even then, you know, I was like, how, why, who says, like, I'm digging through these records and these records are from 72, James Brown, he's just still, I just played this shit five, five times in a row, it's still amazing. Why can't, you know, Grandmaster Flash do the same thing? Why can't Run DMC's record last and we still go back to it and play it? How do we grow from this thing that's still new into creating something that has shelf life to it? And when I started, I was like, I think I can make shit that has shelf life to it and I want to do that. 
I don't want to do a summer fucking song and get money and be like, oh, that's just, I, I was like, I love this shit culturally. So from the onset, I was like, I saw this, excuse me, I saw this version of myself from the beginning. You know what I mean? Like, what are you, what are you going to write like then? And what are you going to write about? About. I still think there's so much room from our perspective to write about things that the younger audience would be interested in. Because when I was growing up, I was listening to Stevie and Marvin and, you know, all the other amazing artists that were doing amazing music. And I was like, this shit is amazing. As a 12 year old, this shit is amazing. You know, I'm singing these songs that I'm hearing in my house and it's good. I know it's good. I can feel that it's good. So uh, to squeeze us into that box, always thought was was bullshit off the rip. Yeah. You know, um, I think part of that longevity is um, adapting your flow. You know, because mm-hmm. flows have changed. Cadences have changed, like, tremendously over the years. And sometimes mm-hmm. they come full circle. It's like the simplistic... Mm-hmm style that, that that tends to be more commercial now is very similar to, you know, simplistic style that we, we mm-hmm. started off with. Um, on your song, Scarecrow, you play with flow a lot. You know, it's very contemporary mm-hmm. flow through the majority of the song. And then mm-hmm. the last bit, you just black out. You know, was that, mm-hmm. was that juxtaposition, juxtaposition intentional? Yes, it was. Um, I wanted to... I wrote the record a couple of years ago um, and um, I, I noticed that uh, a couple of songs that uh, Chief Keith had and a couple of shit I would hear in the club on the trap side had a rock vibe to it and that that bounce I was like oh this is this is a version of shit although the sounds are different I see how to merge those two genres as well. Um, And so when I finally came across this record, I was like, this is what I was talking about. We can even make it harder. The live version of that song is, is, uh, we just did a kind of like another live version of that record, a live performance. And that shit is even harder. And so I was like, yeah, this is great. And, um, I love the concept to it. And um, I thought the concept should remain as simple as that Wizard of Oz story. But yet when you dig into that story, it's a lot of shit going on as simple as that movie may seem. There's a lot of uh, themes going on in that shit. So um, I thought it would be cool to take that to something as simple as that something as simple as that repetitive uh you know part that i do and push it and just make it about chasing you know the dream or success uh using drug references but yet it's still about these are my bars and these are my songs and this this dorothy was helping me to get my songs across or to get my career across using a bunch of different themes. Uh, you know, the hook, the hook is crack cocaine and the city is emerald. And what is she smuggling? We don't know what she's smuggling. And I said, I put it in a pen in that run that you, and I show you what the pen to do. Uh, it's like uh, drugs for the, for the weed pen or, is it drugs for the pen pen? So it's simple, but it's metaphors there and themes there that I thought were really cool when I listened to the song. Um, it just feels really good as well. So it's one of my favorite songs on the album. All right. Yeah, mine too. You know, so we talked a lot, you know, like I said, there was a few times when I saw you and you told me that the album was coming. And one time I remember distinctly was at the Cypress Hill show. It was at the mm-hmm. Gramercy Theater. Um, and I'm wondering, <laughs> is that the night <laughs> that you got with them to, uh, to, to do Fight? Yeah? Yeah. Okay. yeah. I had that song and um, I was like, 
oh, I'm going to do a scratch chorus. And I was like, oh, you can't do a scratch chorus because you'll, you'll, you'll be playing back to this side. And you can't do this chorus because you'll be playing back to that side. Like, so who are you going to get in this chorus and who fills the spot? Because that bridge was always there. And I was like, it's only one, you know, voice I hear on this. And I started thinking about colors. And I, and I wanted to get Cypress because both of their colors kind of fit to me. Be real with the nasal and, and Zendog with, with, the, with the classic, you know, bass. So when I saw they were playing, my friend hit me and was like, you want to go see them? And I don't, I don't get a lot of shows, get to see a lot of shows. So I was like, I'll go. It was on my birthday. And usually on my birthday, I just chill, chill at home and just chill. So I was like, I'll go, I'll go. Grabbed up a homeboy and drove out to see the show. And I got backstage and I was like, yo, yo, be real. I really, really, really want you on this song. You know what I'm saying? And um, he was like, we got to do something. And I was like, in fact, I got something for you and got the email and the number and uh, sent them the song. Yeah, that, that was, uh, yeah, I love that joint. Amnesia is a complete departure from everything else. You know, um, mm-hmm. slows down, um, much more mellow, more melodic, less like aggressive. Um, what inspired the shift in gears for that song? Um, working on an album, I was just like, you know what? As a as an executive producer on this record, you know, a lot of the classic albums. I would get to this part where there would be this ballad and it would either be good or bad. But um, it seemed like the, the shit that you had to put at a certain time. And I wanted to get to a song. I wanted the listener to get to a song where it gave you a break from the intensity. But uh, obviously I couldn't make it a, a, a fucking sappy ballad or a super fucking ballad. But I knew I wanted to, you know, give you something to to have a melody there and be strong in a melody and kind of get bigger and bigger and bigger. So I had uh, wrote these couple of bars about, um, you know, having a contingency plan for forgetting that I hate someone and writing fuck you in my palm and then because I keep forgetting. And then I said, you know, who are you again? And then I look in my hand, I say, oh, fuck you, you know, because I remember now I hate your fucking guts. So I had devised this line about forgetting. And the, the original thought was do a whole verse about forgetting who you are very easily. It'd be very funny and um, also scary. And then I was like, you know what? You should you should make the whole theme around that for this song. And, and it's consistent uh, with a couple of themes that I like that. And I was like, uh, Alzheimer's and dementia. So I was like, yeah, you know, you're, you're trying to embrace getting older in, in your thinking and in your interviews. Why don't you write a song about getting Alzheimer's, so to speak, or getting dementia? So this character is, you know, being hit with the realization that he's becoming forgetful and he's telling his wife in the chorus, in this moment of clarity, I see we've been arguing and what have you. In this moment, I know I forget to say this. Let me say that I love you. And I said that to myself and I was like, Ooh, I got to chill. And I was like, that's pretty sappy. But I think you can make it work if you frame it around the seriousness of dementia and Alzheimer's. So that's the the framework of that song. Did you draw any inspiration from the, the movie Memento? I went to Memento. I went to a couple of films and 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 watched them. I talked to people. I I, I did my like actors, writers, directors, research. Um, My sister-in-law, her mom has uh, dementia. 
and was telling me things that are just so mind blowing that I didn't even put in the song because for most people it's pretty sad already, the record. So I was like, I don't want to pull people down that far, you know, um, just about uh, food and forgetting to chew and how things have to be soup or soft or spoons when when you're when they get their meals at a certain point or just really not remembering and even things about yourself and going to the mirror like me going to the mirror and be like oh my god you know when did when did this happen you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's great and uh as i was doing a lot of research i was like oh that's rough to embody yeah. and so uh even though how knowing how powerful words are, especially in hip hop songs of late, you know, I've been like, you have a great memory. You have a great memory. You have a great memory. You will not, <laughs> you will not use your memory. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, uh, yeah, that song, uh, I've played that song for people and they've, they've, they've cried yeah. on the spot because they have a family member or know someone who's dealing with them. Or they liken it, liken it to just someone saying something that they forget to say and we don't often say that to each other, which is a, how I wanted to hit that, that part before the chorus as well. Like, uh, Is that you singing you know, on the chorus? Yeah. Yeah. You ever mm-hmm. think about doing a, a, a full album singing? Um, I know I can sing it when it's in the proper range and when I feel it that it's honest. That's the only time I even fuck around. So it would have to be a bunch of honest ass songs in the same range. I am getting better. But uh, not good enough yet to do an album that way because it would have to be dynamic in ways that I don't feel comfortable yet. Like Mm -hmm. I can hear when I'm out and off. I may not be able to execute as well as I would like, but I can hear it. You know, it's not like my air is like, uh, you know, American Idol and I'm standing there and the people like you fucking can't sing. And I'm like, I can't like I hear when it's wrong and when it's right. There's some things I leave because I think it's important coming from the writer and an MC to leave a little struggle in there so people can kind of feel like it came from the heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes those songs, if they're perfectly sung, I, I feel like people can't, don't feel like they can join along in with you in the shower, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, this is a, an amazing project, but obviously you have a tremendous catalog too. And so, mm-hmm. you know, your your solo debut was one of the all-time greats in terms of affairs. Um, it was off the market for a minute out of print. How did it feel to get that re-released? It's amazing, man. Um, you know, just, just for the fans to be able to, as a fan of music myself, to be able to, be sitting around and be like, you know, behind closed doors, we got to keep that shit on lock. You know what I'm saying, son? Be like, oh, remember that record? And then be able to and go listen to the shit readily on the move in your car. like, And so um, that, that's just been a beautiful thing as, as, as well as uh, vinyl and releasing shit. And uh, I did a 20th anniversary show at the Kennedy Center for it, and I brought out MOP and Prince Poe, and Fonte came out and did a song with me because they were in town to do a show. And it's just, uh, like you said, it's been really nice um, to have these things memorialized and etched there, and and feel age appropriate for where I am in the career. Twenty years later, after the release of that record and that song Simon says which still resonates and I know how how 
rare of a thing that is that a song transcends generations. Like I, I see cats doing these uh, YouTube reaction videos still, and I'm just like, that's fucking phenomenal, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, another moment um, that might not be as widely recognized, but was still dope, was DJ Shadow put you and Nas on Drone Warfare together. Mm-hmm. How did it feel to get that one on the books for Queens? Oh, man. Amazing, amazing. Uh, just an amazing moment. Uh, he, he's one of my favorite MCs, one of my favorite artists. He's like top five in in that obviously Biggie Jay-Z and and Nas and and in that era and 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 M. So that was just crazy and cool, a cool way to do it as well. And we just we had met up in the studio to to listen to some of the songs from this album. And I just talked about I talked about how I have such a revere him and so if utilized again i just wanted to be the right shit and you know not like i got a beat let me call nas so that was dope yeah Yeah. so if amnesia was uh the point to let people pause and reflect and kind of start to process what they had just experienced kill 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 was the climax you know and that Mm. song you know you say reality is not tangible when all you feel is rage and last year in particular there was a lot of rage you had you know, everything that happened after the death of george floyd and the movement mm-hmm. you had lockdown you had the election mm-hmm. but the rage has been building for a long long time you know what do you think has caused our collective rage and how do we get it to subside I think we have to take a few steps back and really ask ourselves who who are we and what do we want from our collective there's so many intangibles in that because you have to one see the the picture as a collective of people and the spotlight on division kind of like gives no room to think about it that way the 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 underlying thinking in the album is that i know that there is a connected consciousness amongst people globally that wants to believe that uh we can at least you know, move out of this archaic way of thinking and respect each other in a, in a loving, in an ultimate love way, an ultimate lighted, good vibration way. But, uh, you know, I, I think we're so focused in the moment that we would collectively have to take a couple of steps back and think about where we want to be, where we, we want our kids to be, and what we want that to look like. Because it's, uh, we're on the wrong trajectory right now. And, and again, it just goes back to, you know, not what the album is about, but the theme of the album in terms of a magnificent day for exorcism is like, what would you have to do to atone? Honestly, even for yourself, you got to go in there and you can't put band-aids, you, you have to deal with those and heal those things. Same thing with the country, same thing globally. So, you know, first have to speak on it in, in a real way, in a therapeutic way. And, uh, you know, that's how I think we, we begin to get to that moment where we can talk about that realistically and root out what those ailments are that are poisonous and demonic and need to be exercised. Album plug. Word. 
the album is a magnificent day for an exorcism. Um, exorcisms are about evicting demons. So, you know, final question, what do you think this world looks like without the evils? Ah, <clears throat> oh, man, it looks like what I thought about some 40 years ago in class. Philosophers hovering around discussing the latest remedies, inventions, cures, uh, fruitful vegetation, colors, great conversation, and uh, being able to breathe and and, uh, not have any weight and pressures that we have now, uh, kind of a weightlessness vibe. Sounds like a great place. I hope we, mm-hmm. hope we make it there. Yep. Carol Monch, uh, a magnificent day for an exorcism out on streaming platforms now on vinyl. Uh, in a month, you can hear that message. Um, thank you. Like, I really appreciate this. I appreciate thank y'all. You. Thank you, man. Appreciate All right. it. All right. Mm-hmm. All right, peace. All right, peace. Peace.